Good morning. My name is Jesse Ryder. I'm the uh, Next Steps pastor here at the Park Avenue campus. I'm also the, uh, the City Center campus pastor. I want to take a moment to share a little bit just about the City Center. I know some of you have been involved in different capacities, but I know not everyone kind of knows what's going on down there. I thought I'd love to just kind of update you and, and let you know where we've been and kind of where we're headed there. Uh, so about a month ago, beginning of January, we hired a new program director named Monica Christie, who has done a, a fantastic job there. And part of you know, our initial conversation, you know, how, how can we be a resource for the community? What can that look like? And so we began having these conversations with, with different organizations in the downtown area, different people and community members, and, and asking the, the question, what are some needs in the downtown area? What are some needs of the people down here? And it was nearly every conversation, the needs were almost identical. There was a need for laundry services, and just general kind of hygiene care. And so we thought to ourselves, you know, how, can we, how can we be a part of that? How can we be a part of the solution of the needs of the community? And so we, we kind of came up with this idea, this kind of this, this grandiose idea of, you know, what if we offered free laundry and, and free, free hygiene kits? And it is this big idea, and so we were excited about the idea, the idea of like, yes, but, but no, like we, we wanted to be a part of this, but we have no washers and dryers. We have no hygiene kits. We have none of this stuff. How, how could we do this? And so it's been amazing to kind of watch God work in this, these amazing ways and, and how this has come about. So it started with, with zero washers and dryers. We will now, by the end of week, have four washers and two dryers at the city center. All right, yeah. And so we, we started, we had zero hygiene kit, hygiene items, anything along those lines. We now have a large, very large closet overflowing with hygiene items to give away. Yes. And, and so our plan was, beginning in February, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to open our building up and offer free laundry services for, for 9 to 11 o'clock, 9 in the morning to 11 a.m. We're going to open the building up. They can bring their laundry in, and this will be a chance for us to kind of care for them. And can I tell you, we've been open for four days, four Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've seen over 80 guests come through our doors to take, just be a part of that. And, and they are so excited to, be, to come back and to bring friends and be a part of that. So certainly we are helping meet physical needs in our community, and we're excited about that. And, and so we wanted to take a moment just to say thank you. Thank you for the washers and dryers. Thank you for the hygiene kits. Thank you for snacks and all these different items. Thank you to those who have been serving down there. Thank you. Certainly our, our goal was to help meet a physical need, but use that physical need as a tool to develop relationships in the community. And so av as we've been doing that, we begin to hear some just incredible stories. I got a chance to sit down with some people, so the way it works is they'll come in, they'll bring their laundry, and we will go and, and launder their clothes for them. And so, which then leaves them a, a, up in our front room at tables with coffee and snacks, and we get a chance to interact with the people there. The other day, I, I sat with uh, two guys who were just kind of waiting for their laundry, were kind of standoffish at first, but as time went on, they became more and more comfortable and began to kind of share where they had been in life. And it was interesting for me, to, as in the midst of the conversation, to hear things that were normal in their life that were not normal in my life. When, when, when prostitution was a, a reliable source of income, when, when violence and maybe even extreme violence was a, a normal way of solving problems. And I remember sitting with this, this man who had told me he had recently been released from prison, and the following day, he was starting a brand new job. He was trying to get his life back on track. 
And so for us in that moment, we got to kind of help be a part of that restoration process. He came to the city center that day just because he wanted to make a good first impression on his first day of work. And so we were so excited to kind of come alongside and just be able to pray for him and encourage him as he begins to just taking one right step at a time. But throughout the conversations with people there, there, there was this phrase I continually heard from people. And, and it kind of confused me because I wasn't sure what they were referring to. But in the midst of multiple conversations with different people, I would hear this line, I don't want to end up over there. And, and they would indicate, you know, like pointing out the window. And so I, I would like look out the window and try and figure out what, what are you pointing, what are you looking at? I would look, and I could not identify what it was, and I kept looking. And so finally somebody said, it said, all right, listen, I've heard this a couple times. What do you mean you don't want to end up over there? The guy looks out the window, he says, jail. I don't want to end up in jail. And for so many people, this was their life goal. Their life purpose was simply not to be in jail, to not to end up over there. And I, I think there's a danger when that's your, your, your motivating factor in your life. How you make your decisions is based upon not doing something. You're missing out. And so what we're going to see today as we continue the series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that there's more to life than this. There's more to life than just avoiding some of these things. So last week we started with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 is really an interesting passage because if you pick just one or two verses, or just one or two, just, you just kind of grab a few verses out of Matthew 5, it almost seems ridiculous. It seems far-fetched. It seems impossible. It seems like it doesn't even really make sense. And so what Matthew 5 does, when you read it in its entirety, it really paints this picture of what a kingdom-minded life looks like. But if you miss part of it, you miss a lot of it. So last week when we started with the Beatitudes, it's, it's the idea of, of blessed are those, and it continues to kind of why you would be blessed in different areas. But what tends to happen with the Beatitudes is that people kind of pick and choose maybe what appears to be easier than the others. People kind of look, read and say, okay, this one is probably easily, easier attainable than the others. And you just kind of pick the ones you like. In doing so, you kind of eliminate Christ from the Beatitudes, and you just kind of use it almost as like behavior modification. And so we have people who are claiming to be Christians who have no idea who Christ is. Who are claiming to be Christians but don't know what it means to follow after Christ. And, and there's a danger in that. So today what we're going to read is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, page 810. And we're going to read here, Jesus is talking to this, having this conversation with the disciples. And he's just kind of coming to kind of declare his purpose. In verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we see this setting here. And in this culture, the, the law was more than just kind of the judicial law. Marriages were based off the law. Relationships were kind of determined by the law. 
properties, all sorts of business agreements, all were kind of had some sort of involvement with the law. And so Jesus kind of sets the record straight of his, his purpose regarding the law. He said he did not come to abolish the, the moral or ethical laws that had been established, but actually to, have to kind of expound upon them. And so as we continue to see it, it's not abolishing the law that Jesus is after. It's really the heart behind the law that he's after. It's not just this obedience checklist, like these are the things to do, these are the things not to do, and life is good. It's the heart and the attitude behind the law. And, and so it's important for us to kind of grasp that concept because over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about some difficult issues. And it's not necessarily this black or white, yes or no, this checklist, but more so the heart that is associated with that. We'll be talking about anger and lust, divorce, oaths, uh, retaliation, how to love your enemies, all through Matthew chapter 5. And when you take those things out of context, it almost seems like it doesn't make sense. So it's important to kind of build the foundation of today. So there's, there's all sorts of, of various laws throughout Scripture. Well, there's a Mosaic law, there's different laws in the Old Testament, and then we see in this setting, there's the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for having these laws that would just kind of keep being adapted and changed and manipulated and kind of just all over the place. And so what would happen is with these laws is that people would begin to study the law and try and memorize the law, but the laws would continually change and continually be adapted. And, and so it became this kind of vicious cycle of you're trying to memorize the law, but then you forget why there is this law. Right? The, the law would kind of become the distraction from the purpose of the law. The law was originally to eliminate the distractions from God. And so the Pharisees had, had made all of these laws to try and eliminate those distractions, but what happened is that people began treating it like a checklist. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. And they lost the focus that the law in, was intended for. And, and so you know, the Pharisees may have been well-intended with their laws, but had so many that it just became overwhelming to people. And, and so you know that laws are created because either someone did something, and there should be punishment equated to that, or someone did something and someone else says, you know, we don't want people doing that again. Right? And so we have all these different laws that exist in our culture. But what's interesting is sometimes there's like ridiculous laws because people have done ridiculous things. And sometimes they just stay laws. So I thought to start things off this morning, I, I'd share just a few fun ones just real quick. So these, these are real laws found in different cities throughout the United States that exist. Now remember, they exist because someone at one point thought this was not a good idea, or they actually did it, and there should be punishment associated with it. So in Rhode Island, now these are not made up, these are laws I found that are real. At one point, a city in Rhode Island, it is illegal on Sunday to sell both a toothbrush and toothpaste to someone on the same day. It's illegal to do that. In Georgia, now, remember, it's because someone at one point has broken or done one of these things that they thought, we need a law to prevent people from doing this. In Georgia, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sunday. The other days, it's fine, go for it. In Ohio, there's a city in southern Ohio where policemen are permitted to bite a dog if they believe it will help settle the dog down. There's one more. I'll tell you ahead of time, slightly controversial, depending on who you are. Half of the room will probably love it, half of the room will probably be angry, but that's all right. It's not my law. I'm just saying it's a law. 
in the city or in a city in Virginia, it is illegal for a woman to drive a car on Main Street unless there is a man in front of the car waving a giant red flag. Some of you are in agreement with that law. Some of you may not be. That's all right. You know, and so th these, these laws are kind of comical examples of, you know, things happen, so they made it a law, and then you kind of go back and forth. But, but the Pharisees did so in a not-so-comical way. The Pharisees would, would add to their laws. They would add these things to their laws, and then kind of change the laws and adapt the laws. And, and so it became overwhelming and overbearing, and it was difficult. You end up having to study the law, which was designed to eliminate distractions, but then the law became the distraction. So instead of worshiping God, you are worshiping the law. And we see that with the Pharisees. That the Pharisees worked themselves to a situation where they became devoted followers of the law and not devoted followers of God. So the first thing we have to understand as we look through this passage is that Christ fulfills the law. Right? Christ, at the beginning of this passage, he declares his intentions, declares his purpose. Right? This is what I am about. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had someone misread your intentions or you weren't sure of the intentions of someone else. And it, it just allows like this kind of confusing situation where you're trying to figure out what are you about, what am I about, what are, what are we about right now? So this happened to me the other day. The other day I received a phone call from what I now know is a telemarketer. I will tell you, if you're not sure, telemarketers are getting pretty good at what they do. So I received this phone call, but it was different. It was, it was a different type of telemarketing phone call. You know, normally, like, you pick up the phone, and within, like, five seconds, like, they're trying to sell you something, or they're, they're hard to hear. It's, like, distant away from the phone, or like, you're just not really sure what's going on. You can usually tell. Right? And so the other day, I received this phone call. I say, hello. And she said, oh, it's so good to hear your voice. Now, normally, telemarketers have this kind of sound about them. Right, they just kind of all have this like similar, like it's almost robotic voice. But this was different. This was like that, that sweet old lady voice. She says, so good to hear your voice. I said, okay. Hello. And she said, how are you? I'm good. How are you? She goes, oh, I'm good. I've just been listening to my grandson's band play. Okay. Okay, good. And, and, and this conversation is kind of going back and forth. But eventually I feel like, okay, like, I've made a friend. Like, I've received, I've received a phone call, and I've made a friend, and we're kind of just going back and forth. And I'm like, okay, like, we're, we're just talking. I don't know what this is about yet, but, hey, she's super polite and super friendly. So, you know, it's, it's a good conversation. But then I answered one thing that was just a little off script from what the recording, which I now know it was. And I thought to myself, wait, wait, wait. So I said something, and her response didn't make any sense. And then I just kind of sat there, and then the recording goes into beginning to try and sell me something about healthcare. And I just remember, like, just being really hurt for a minute. I, I felt like I lost a friend. And just kind of sitting there like, oh, wh wait, what? I, I thought we had this connection. I thought, like, we were going to be friends through this, and now I see your intentions were to scam me all along. Right? And, and so that happens sometimes. Right? And, and so Jesus comes, and he basically comes to declare his intentions. Because the Pharisees had mislabeled his intentions. So he comes and we see that he, he agrees that he is going to not do something 
and then also do something. He said, I did not come to abolish, to destroy, to get rid of the law. I did come to fulfill the law, to finish the law, to complete the prophecies. And so he declares his intention. So there is no confusion about who he is and what he's done. And, and so when we see that, it helps us to understand that. But the Pharisees always just wrestled with, why are you here? What is your intent? What is your purpose right now? And so through Hebrews chapter 10, we see kind of more about this law and the purpose of the law. In Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It was talking about some of these Old Testament laws, specifically some of the animal sacrifices that were required. It was saying you know, the, the animal sacrifices cannot take away your sin. In the Old Testament, it could cover your sin, but it could not take away your sin. It was not good enough to do that. And then if you keep going in Hebrews chapter 10, you get to verse 16, and verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We see that Christ offers this complete forgiveness of sins. And so often we try to package up our sins and make sure to make it look like it's not really going to work. My sins are, there, there's too many. It's been going on for too long. There's, there's just too much. And we, we try and package our sins to make it look like Christ's forgiveness is not good enough for our sins. And so what we see then is we see that this, the Pharisees had the, the same idea. Right? They, they would try and, try and trap Jesus. They did not believe that when Jesus declared his intentions that this is in fact who he said he was. This is, we don't believe that this is why you're here. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8. Let me show you an example of what the Pharisees would do. In John chapter 8, verse 2, early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the temple came to him, and he sat down and taught them, the scribes and the Pharisees, and brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Do you see the difference here? Here is the law, and the Pharisees bring this woman in who is a sinner, who is hurting. But instead of looking to help her, to guide her, to restore her, they use her to try and trap Jesus. Do you see the difference in how you view the law? Right? If they were devoted to God, they're going to handle the situation much better. But instead, they're devoted to the law and say, right, here is the law. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? What are you going to do with this sinful woman? And it kind of sets this setting in front of them. In verse 6, is this they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, 
beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, and from now on, sin no more. We see that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? He came to earth, lived a perfect life, and gave up that perfect life to sacrifice for us. But sometimes we lose focus of that. Sometimes we lose focus of what Christ did, who Christ is, and what our response is to be to that. Sometimes we're more concerned about the sins of another person than our own life. Sometimes we're like the Pharisees, we'd much rather catch someone else sinning so it doesn't make us look bad. It's not as bad as that person. It's not as much as this person. I didn't do it that often. And we play this comparison game. And what tends to happen when you do that is you begin just kind of pushing Christ to the side, focusing more on the law, more on the checklist side of things. And what happens is you don't live this life of devotion, you live this life of obligation. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see this obligation versus devotion. Right? O- obligation is the idea of, you know, I have to do it. I'm required, it is necessary for me to do this. If I don't do this, I will be a disappointment. But devotion, devotion is that you are so involved, so in love, so just attached to it that you can't help but not do it. Not out of obligation, but out of desire. Now you can be devoted to a variety of things, both good and bad. You can have all sorts of things you're devoted to. In fact, the other day I, I heard of a a guy who his girlfriend broke up with him days before Valentine's Day. But he really wanted to see this movie that came out on Valentine's Day. But he did not want to be surrounded by all those romantic couples on Valentine's Day. So he devoted himself to buying every odd-numbered seat in the theater so that couples could not sit together at the movie theater and he could go and watch his movie. Now, that is an example of devotion. It's a weird devotion, but it's devotion nonetheless. But what we're going to talk about is more of that, that, that kingdom-minded devotion. Right? That, that, that focus on, on devotion that has a purpose behind it. And what we see then is really, later on in Matthew, Jesus sums up the law through a variety of passages. You can write these down in your notes. In, in Matthew 23, verse 36, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you remember the very first words we read from Matthew this morning? He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. In Matthew 7, 12, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We see that he did not come to abolish the law. In fact, what he came to do was kind of expound upon the law. 
to look at the heart behind the law. And so from these summarizations that Jesus presents, you can really find four key distinctions of devotion. Growing relationship with Christ, connected in community, using your gifts to serve, and sharing the gospel. Now, there, there could be more you could add to the mix, but those are kind of the four primary distinctions of someone who has a kingdom-minded devotion. So let's look at each one of these in depth for a second. Because we're talking about this idea of of obligation and devotion. Obligation says, you know what, I have to do it. It's it's just, just, there's no other way around, I just have to do it. I just got to get it done and get it over with. I've coached soccer for a lot of years, and it's very easy and quick to identify an obligated athlete compared to a devoted athlete. Right, the devoted athlete is all in for what you're trying to do. Extra time is needed, sure. Extra practice needed, sure. Something else is needed, sure. Whatever you need, I'm willing to do. And, and for whatever setting you're in, you could probably do the same. It's easy to spot the difference between someone who is obligated to doing something as opposed to someone who is devoted to doing something. Think about your setting. Think about what that would look like. But what we're going to focus on is that compared to someone who is kingdom-minded. Are they devoted or obligated? So if you have a growing relationship with Christ, your devotion would encourage you to know God more through Bible study, through prayer, through church, through groups, through all sorts of different avenues. But the obligated person says, "Uh, I'm good. I I did it once. That's good enough for today. No need to know it more. I'm, I'm fine, thanks connected in community, the the devoted person would surround themselves with people who want them to be totally devoted, who are all in for their life and encouraging them and walking beside them and holding them accountable. But the obligated person, you know, they may go to the group or to a Bible study or or to church or whatever, but that doesn't really apply to them. They kind of keep their guard up the whole time. That way they can't be held accountable. They're there. Check. It's done but they're not really there. Using your gifts to serve. Right, the obligated person says, you know, I, I, I gotta give, I gotta serve, I gotta go to church, done, done, done. But the, the, devoted, the devoted follower says, you know what, God has given me these gifts. And this gift, this life, this time, this talent, this treasure, God has given me this so that I may honor and serve him with it. How can I do that? And so really what we see then is, how about sharing the gospel? How does an obligated person share the gospel? If you're obligated to do it, well, if, if God ever gives me the opportunity, maybe I'll, maybe I'll say something. But a devoted person is going to live their life in such a way that people are going to ask you about how you're living your life that way. There's something different about the way you're living your life. There's something different about the way a devoted person lives their life. And that just by living your life, people want to know, How can you do that? How can you do what you do? How did you respond like that? How? And then people are going to want to know those questions and ask you. But no one's going to ask someone, hey, how can I be more apathetic? How can I not care more? No no one's going to ask those questions. So it's it's that devoted person that we see. So let's take a moment. Let's compare some of these obligations and, and devotions. What, what, what those lives would look like. 
an obligated person. Obligation does not allow for a life that experiences divine blessings. Obligation does not allow for a life that experiences divine blessings. The idea of of blessed are the poor in spirit or, or hunger and thirsting for righteousness is not appealing. Devotion allows for kingdom-focused life. This is what the Beatitudes are about. Devotion allows for kingdom-focused life. Someone who is obligated is, is not after those things. The idea of sacrifice is not appealing. Why would I sacrifice for something? Obligation does the bare minimum. And not only that, obligation could probably even justify doing less than the bare minimum. But devotion, devotion goes above and beyond what is necessary. Obligation is it's that checklist mentality. If I can just check it off and get it out of the way, and I'll be done. But devotion says, you know what, uh, God, this is, this is your life. I'm here for you. Use me in whatever way you need. And finally, we see obligation lives a life of Christian checklists. Check it off, get it done, get it out of the way. But devotion leads to total surrender. I don't do it because I have to do it. I do it because this is who I am. This is who God wants me to be. This is, this is what God has given me, and this is how I give it back to God. Surrendering your life. So I, I have to ask you, which attitude, as we study obligation, devotion, which attitude is more beneficial for the kingdom? Which attitude is more Christ-like? Which attitude could have a greater impact? Which attitude are you demonstrating? That of an obligated Christian or that of a devoted follower of Christ? And certainly, as you are asked that question, you would want to answer, I want to be a devoted follower of Christ. No one's going to choose to just be the obligated because I have to. No one, no one wants that choice. So what tends to happen is sometimes we get distracted. There are distractions from the devotion. I want to go over three distractions. There's certainly more distractions, but I think there are three key distractions from the devotion. The first one is, is, is self-justification. Right? Self-justification is the idea that you know, you're not really a growing Christian in Christ because that's not really concerning. You're more concerned about kind of you. So the Word of God or God is not your basis for right and wrong, not your basis for your moral foundation. It's, it's more based on what you feel what you desire, your surroundings. And that's how you determine what's right and wrong. And you see, this is, this is prevalent in our culture today. Look, the, the Word of God is not the basis for the foundation of right and wrong or for a moral foundation or how to treat other people. But feelings are. Well, I feel this way, so I'm going to do this. Well, I personally desire this, so I'm going to do this. This is my life. I'm, I'm going to live it however I want. I'm going to do whatever I want with my life. And so what tends to happen then is we find ourselves in, in difficult situations where we kind of remove God from the decision-making part of our life. We remove God's Word from having any influence in our life. In fact, there was a, a recent study that came out, surveyed about 35,000 different Christians. 
Of the 35,000 Christians, it was found that 45% of them said they seldom or never read their Bible. 8% said they read their Bible maybe two to three times a year. So if we do the math of the sampling size, that's, that's over 50% of Christians are not using God's Word for their moral foundation. They're not using God's Word to know who Christ is. They're not using God's Word to know how to treat people. And so what tends to happen is when you don't use God's Word, you use you, your feelings, your desires, your surroundings. And that becomes your determining factor. The second distraction we see from devotion is that of self-righteousness. Where I'm good enough already. Actually, things are going really well. I don't really need, I don't really need Christ in my life. You know what? I don't mind Christianity if we could just maybe take out the Christ part of it. Right? I, don't, I don't mind being a Christian if, if I'm kind of in charge of everything. I don't mind being a Christian if I, could, if I could kind of set the rules and the plan and kind of what sacrifices I have to make. I don't mind that. But can I, can I tell you, there is a real danger in believing you are morally, ethically superior to that of the Creator. There's a real danger in believing that you are morally superior to the one who lived a perfect life. There is a danger in that. And what happens is when you don't believe that, it becomes difficult to humble yourself. And when you can't humble yourselves, you believe that you are, in fact, God. You are the God of your own life. This is my life. I am the one who gets to decide what I do. This is my life. I am the one who kind of sets what's right and wrong. This is my life. I will make my own decisions. This is my life, and, I, and we miss it. We miss the part where, as believers, this is not your life to live. This is God's life that has been given to you. The third and final distraction we can see is that of pharisaical temptations. Right? As we look at the Pharisees throughout the New Testament, we, we see these, these elements in their life. And their interaction with Jesus, elements of pride, legalism, hypocrisy, exclusivity. And what tends to happen is when you're not careful, these things creep into your life. When all of a sudden you, you have this, this sinner who's in front of you and your, your goal is no longer to restore them or to help them or to guide them, but to embarrass them or to call them out or to make them look foolish. As we see with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And so we allow these things to creep into our life and begin to just kind of poke away at us. And it distracts, distracts us from what Christ has really done. It distracts us from who Christ is. It distracts us from living a life that is honoring to Christ. Because our goal is to honor ourselves. So in order for us to really go forward in this series, we have to have a, a biblical understanding of what it means to be a kingdom-minded Christian. But even, even more than this series, in life, we have to remember what it means to be fully devoted followers of Christ. It's easy at times to be distracted from those things. From things that we can say truly matter have a lasting impact. But sometimes we get distracted. 
Sometimes when you, when you live that obligated Christian lifestyle, your goal becomes, I don't want to end up over there. And your goal is simply not to do things or to do things just based on your checklist, and you can check things off and then you're done. But that devoted follower lives a different life. They have a life that is full of purpose, a life that is lived with zeal and intention in their life. So as we close today, I want you to kind of wrestle with who are you? Which one is a more accurate description of you? Are you the, that obligated checklist, I'm here because I have to be here? Or are you that devoted follower who's just seeking after Christ and whatever Christ wants for their life? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We are so thankful for who you are and what you've done in our life. Lord, we're thankful that you sent your son to live in this earth, but to sacrifice for us. Lord, we are sorry when we have made this about us. We have made this life about us and honoring us and glorifying us. Lord, we are sorry. Lord, our prayer this morning is that prayer of this honest confession that there are times when we are distracted from who you are. There are times that we are distracted from what you've done. There are times that we are distracted by our own selfishness. Lord, we ask that you would just take over our lives, that our life would be honoring to you, our life would be dedicated to you, our life would be full of worship to you. Lord, we pray for those who are maybe in the middle right now. Maybe they've lived that obligated lifestyle before where they just do things because they have to do it. Lord, we pray that they will come to know who you are so they can be devoted to who you are. That there will be a zeal about them in their life. That they will live their life in a different way that it will be noticeable that they are following after you. Lord, we pray for those who, who don't know you. But maybe are are beginning to ask some questions. Maybe been hurt by, by these obligated Christians in the past. By following the, these, these rules and checklists and these different things. Maybe they've been hurt. Lord, help them to see there's so much more to you than that. That you did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Lord, help us to understand how you view others, how you view us, and how you view life. Lord, give us your purpose. Give us your intentions. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.